It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Meadows at Mystic Lake has modified its golf policies to follow the COVID-19 public health recommendations and welcomes you to play this award-winning public golf course. It offers a unique, challenging, and scenic golf experience. The Meadows at Mystic Lake is a full-service golfing destination, enhanced by nearby food and entertainment, including the Meadows Bar and Grill and Mystic Lake Casino Hotel. It's never too early to book a tee time or shop the pro shop. Stop in or visit GolfTheMeadows.com. That's GolfTheMeadows.com. Owned and operated by Shakopee Midwakanton Sioux Community. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. Time for the Tuesday bonus scoop. Zolgad, Darren Doogie Wilson from Channel 5 Eyewitness News, and of course, Score North, our scoop master. Declan Goff is always executive producing everything across the wide variety of Score North shows. And Doogie, what's going on? How are you doing today? I'm doing okay, Jen. I just told you off, Mike. I am now fully vaccinated as of about two hours ago. I'm also dealing with some sunburn. I didn't realize on May 23rd. Dude, I'm with you. I'm sitting outside at Droogie's baseball tournament in Brooklyn Park over the weekend. I'm with you. I didn't realize how potent the sun is. So seriously, like I need a lesson yeah. in how to apply SPF 40. I played I careful. Am burnt. I am. I don't know if this does it any justice. Yeah. And for those no, who I, just listen, I'm on. don't watch the YouTube clip. They can't see me holding up my arm. Dude, I played. But I am. Yeah, I am severely burnt, Declan. I played 18 on Saturday with no uh, sunscreen as well. And let's just say during the Wild playoff game on Saturday, it was me, the Wild television game, and aloe in front of my air conditioner for about three hours. That's uh, that's all I did on Saturday night, and I won't say anything more. Aloe is one of the better inventions of the last it really is. decade plus. It kind of maybe is, even it goes back further it than that. Makes sunburn. Aloe is great. It mm-hmm. honestly makes sunburn somewhat a little bit worth it. Just a little bit, because you know you're going to I don't know if I'd say that, but it makes it feel okay. Don't screw around with that. Well, that's why you're the ultimate endorsement, right, Jet? Like, you don't go outside. Stay on your couch. Like, on occasion, I guess you show yourself how to mow your lawn. That's right. You know, put the oil in and and get the lawnmower started up. So, Dawn must have taught you something, Judd. But outside of you mowing your lawn, it's not like you're hanging out outside. No, because it's dangerous out there. Exactly. It's the sun, bugs. Grass itself, itchy? No, I'm out. All right, let's start here. Speaking of the great outdoors, Vikings OTAs uh, started officially as far as the workouts that, that they can do on the field, and it, it does sound like they had a good turnout on Monday. Um, talk to me about the note that you sent me yesterday about the absence, and these are voluntary, just, just to be clear. So these are not. this is not a mandatory camp. Uh, the absence of Daniil Hunter and what you think that means in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, Daniil Hunter, my understanding, has not been there, was not there last week. Things ramped up on Monday with on-field activity. He was not there. When we have media access, speaking of being outdoors, on Wednesday morning, 
I don't expect to see him out there. The question is the mandatory minicamp, because you're right, Judd. Let's, let's stress that, that this is voluntary right now, but it is mandatory come June, the June minicamp. Will he be on the field or pay the fines? That is the big question. Judd, I know that he has talked to multiple people inside TCO Performance Center. I know Mike Zimmer went on the record a few weeks ago suggesting he had not talked to, to Daniil. Let's just put it this way. If we're to believe everything a coach, this isn't just Mike Zimmer specific, but if we are to believe everything a coach, an executive, a player in this market tells us, heck, across the country, if, if you're that gullible, then I have oceanfront property and Coon Rapids to sell to you. you. Like, you can't be that stupid, right? So we get lied to on a regular basis. I'm led to believe that Mike Zimmer and Daniil Hunter have talked at some point. Sure, he's communicated with Andre Patterson and others. Let's not forget the NFL Network report going back to last October. I don't think anything has changed in that regard. I'm told specifically by a couple people that it's the Joey Bosa contract that irks him. Maybe it's more so Daniil's agent, because I've told you, Judd, my sense from those multiple people who know Daniil is he's not a me, me, me type guy. He's not one that likes the spotlight. But his representation feels like he is vastly underpaid, he is now, you know the numbers better than I do, but he is not among the top 17, 18 paid pass rushers in the game. That Joey Bosa contract, I don't have the details right here in front of me, but that Chargers contract that Joey Bosa got, I know that the Daniil Hunter camp looks at that and says, whoa, okay, if Joey Bosa got that, we're certainly worth more than that. What do you think right now the Viking stance is on his contract then? Well, I mean, does he have much leverage, right, coming off a very serious injury, a very serious surgery, although all surgeries to me are are pretty darn serious, but in this case, the neck surgery, Mm -hmm. really, really serious. Like, does he have leverage? Is he really willing to sit out to make a statement? I will tell you this much. Somebody that knows some things, not real close to Daniel Hunter, but close to some other LSU folks. I texted with this individual this morning, Judd. It's this individual's belief that Daniil isn't going to pay fines, that when it's mandatory, he is going to be in Egan. Oh, okay. So that's fine then. I, I and that doesn't mean that's fact. Up. I'm just telling you, yeah. you know, as we do this, yeah. this weekly podcast, you know, I'm here to pass along information I receive. Heck, am I lied to on occasion? 100%. On occasion. But there's stuff I'm told that I don't even share with you guys because – you know, my radars go up and I say, okay, that's BS. I'm not even going to say a word. In this instance, I trust the individual who Mm -hmm. opined to me, maybe a little bit more opining, not fact, but he knows a lot of LSU folks. He's got some mutual friends with Daniil. It's just, it's this person's take as of this morning that Daniil is not going to pay fines, which means he will be there when it is mandatory. According to the the over-the-cap website, Darren, Joey Bosa is making on average now $27 million per year. You've got to go down uh, quite a ways to find the average per year for Daniil's contract is $14.4 mil. So, like, that's the gap. That's the gap. What What do you think, um, or how much of a role do you think it plays? Daniil's contract is clearly not up. So the circumstances is a bit different. But you know as well as I do that since the Wills bought the team in 2005, they really do take care of players. Like, and to be clear, players they like a lot and 
they're, they're young. So it's not altruistic, but it is certainly been a trend. And that includes Dalvin Cook last year, who they basically must have told at some point in time, calm down, we'll get this done. And they eventually did. Do you think that plays a role here or because Hunter's contract is not up and it might set a little bit of a precedent if they went in and redid it, that this is an outlier to those contracts? I don't know if it's an outlier because Adam Thielen did have multiple years left on his contract. Correct me if I'm wrong, Judd, but Adam Thielen had multiple years left in his contract a couple of years ago when they redid his deal. So uh, there is a little bit of a precedent. I've told you for weeks that I do believe in the end they take care of Daniil. Now, who knows, Judd? Maybe I'll be proven wrong. I don't have a sense that talks have, have picked up. Heck, the Vikings you know, still need to extend Harrison Smith. That's something they want to do. They still need to extend Brian O'Neill. That is something they want to do, both those guys entering the final years of their contracts. But I'm just telling you, I do think in the end that the Vikings find a way to take care of Daniil. Now, will they take care of him to the extent of what you just laid out from over the cap, getting him right up to the Joey Bosa number? I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. You know, but I get it from the Hunter camp, even coming off a serious injury. Like, the Chargers, hey, you know, I don't know about that contract. Bosa is a good player, but that seems like a bit of an overplay uh, pay. So, hey, good play by by Bosa's representation. But, like, I get it. If you're Daniil and his representation, you're looking at that and saying, what the bleep? Like, how the heck did Joey Bosa But that's your that fault, money? too. That That's your fault. I, I... The, the Vikings gave you a smart contract, and you could have said no. So, And I'm sure that's been pointed out to his rep. And it was interesting to backtrack to the springtime, too, Dukes, where somebody came out, I forget, was it a tweet or something, and, and implied that uh, Daniil should change representation. And Daniil jumped on that. Oh, it, it, it was uh, Chad Graff's piece in The Athletic wrote about the agent. And Daniil came right back, and the one chirp that he, he had was, I'm not going to change agent. So I thought that was a, an interesting dynamic that it's not like he's, you know, going to go hire Neil Cornrich or Jimmy Sexton or something. Correct. And have but him I'll also say this, that everything else that Chad wrote is spot on. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. On, on Daniel, I have never heard that Daniel was, was seeking out new representation. So yes. And, and, Zeke, the guy who represents Daniil, also has Odell Beckham Jr. You know, he's got some ins in Baton Rouge with the LSU football program. Not not every in there. LSU produces so many NFL players on a yearly basis. But but this particular agent who's based in Arizona has some ins with, with the LSU football program. So I don't have a sense that Daniil has ever thought about changing representation. But I'm just telling you, if you go back to that Chad Graff piece. Yep which maybe was reiterating some of the stuff that Ian Rappaport put out there in October, but it had some sourcing behind it. Mm-hmm. I'm just telling you, there's there's some smoke there. There is. Chad wasn't – he wasn't barking up the wrong tree on that report. Jeff Gladney, are we going to see him soon? And is he close to any type of legal resolution to the uh, domestic abuse charges that came down in Dallas? Well, he's not there. I'm told he's not there. In terms of that, I can tell you, I had somebody in our news department check with the with the Dallas District Attorney's Office middle of last week. They still had not made a determination on whether to charge him or not. But that update goes back a few days. I think it's worth me or somebody else following up on that this week. 
that at some point here, the DA's office needs to make some sort of determination one way or, or another, right? Yep. Like it's Absolutely. been long enough. Decide whether you're going to charge him or not. So, you know, they had, you know, Breland, the former chief cornerback in last week. You know, does that tell us anything? Although my understanding, Judd, is they offered him a one-year deal. I don't know if it was for the vet minimum. It might have been for a tick above the vet minimum. But clearly, Breland hasn't agreed to terms with the Vikings, so they didn't offer him enough money. So if they want Breland, they're going to have to go at least a little bit higher. You know, but can we read between the lines of them bringing in a guy with all sorts of starting experience, you know, where even if Gladney isn't charged, that the Vikings likely presume that Gladney is facing some sort of lengthy suspension. Yep. Is that six games? Is that eight games? Is that four games? But multiple games. That that I think the Vikings are bracing for that scenario to play out, regardless of what takes place in the city of Dallas. I think you're right. Yep. And th- that's the concern is that the league can ba- basically step in and say, okay, he didn't get charged or, um, or, or he's not in as much trouble as they expected, but bang, here's four games. So where do you think right now, priority wise, where do you think it, things stand for the Vikings to add guys? So cornerback for sure. We've talked about defensive tackle. Like if if they've got a list, a TCO of needs and wants to fill with potential veteran guys who you could probably get right now for a little cheaper because guys are going to have to accept the fact they're not going to break the bank uh, as we head towards June 1st. How do you think they prioritize positions of need still? Well, yeah, now we know for sure cornerback. I still think there's enough defensive linemen on the market. Like they've kicked the tires on Geno Atkins. There's There's nothing that's changed on that front. So that's certainly a name to watch. There's still some pass rushers out there, right? Melvin Ingram, Everson Griffin. I mean, there's some guys out there. There's other names too. I just happen to to spew two there. But but if you look at the list of available free agent pass rushers, I would say that's still, even after Ryan Kerrigan came off the board, who the Vikings kicked the tires on, but I'm told did not make an offer to. But even after Kerrigan comes off the board, there's still enough names there. And they've kicked the tires on D.D. Westbrook, so we know wide receiver to some extent. Could that eventually be Larry Fitzgerald Jr.? Is it D.D.? Is it some other wide receiver? But I think wide receiver potentially. But I also think, Judd, even without the pads on, like they probably can formulate stronger opinions the next few weeks, like get through that mandatory minicamp, see how the next few weeks go, then really get into the meeting room and say, okay, like we've seen enough on the practice field the last few weeks. Here's what we truly need. Do you think that that there's a chance that they would have a conversation and to use your term, Dukes, kick the tires on Julio Jones now? The contract's no, big. The contract's too big, but it's a fun name to throw out there. Oh, it's a fantastic name to throw out there. And they certainly have, you know, to use my terminology, it's a cliche, but whatever. That they've kicked the tires on on some big names in the past. Right. So like, it's not unheard of for this regime, you know, to at least make the phone call, but no, I don't have a sense that they're going down that path. Like, and Hey, you could argue a wide receiver of, of that magnitude. Sure. Like figure it out. You know, who cares about whether Justin Jefferson gets his 10 targets a game and Adam Thielen gets his nine to 10 targets a game. Like if you have a chance to bring in Julio Jones in this very much all in season, why not do it, even if you're a run-first offense? So 
I'm not disputing the notion that you can make a case that the Vikings should pursue Julio Jones, but I'm just telling you factually from what I can gather, there's zero steam there. I just, you know, you look at his cap hit, you look at what Atlanta is is asking for in terms of compensation. Yeah. Now, I don't think Atlanta's getting a first-round pick for Julio Jones. They may ultimately have to settle for a two or maybe even a three, but that's still pretty heavy compensation. Like, I just, I would be surprised if, if Rick Spielman gave up a really good draft pick to bring on that sort of cap hit. Yeah, and the only team that if you're the Vikings, I take it that you'd like to keep him away from if possible is the Packers. And the Packers would make perfect sense, but here's the thing. If the Packers traded for Jones, I would be absolutely shocked just because they don't make trades like that. I, I mean, they don't. They don't sign guys like that ordinarily. They don't make trades. So the logical thing would be the Packers pursue and, you know, let's say give up a second-round pick, Dukes, for Jones, bring him in, tell Aaron, we love you, you know, come back, look at this. You got Devontae Adams and Julio Bleep and Jones. That's pretty good. Um but Green Bay just doesn't show um, doesn't show itself to be the type of team that would trade for a guy like that, which might make no sense. But until I see it, I won't believe it. Well, there's also this too. I mean, if you're Atlanta, you know, you might still feel like with Matt Ryan at quarterback that you're not that far off. Now, maybe that's foolish, but they may feel like, hey, we can make a run. Do we really want to trade Julio? within the conference. Would it make more sense to trade Julio to the Patriots or to the Tennessee Titans, even though that's a run-first offense? But outside of A.J. Brown, like you mean to tell me the Tennessee Titans with my buddy Todd Downing calling plays down there? You mean to tell me Todd wouldn't love to have Julio Jones? Trust me, Todd would love to have Julio Jones. So those would be two teams, and there's probably more, but those would be two teams I would keep an eye on. You know, I certainly think Julio wants out. Like, I I think that was – you know, the audio with Shannon Sharp, like, that had to be pre-planned. I, I oh, would yeah. Hope. Yeah, I, that was There not- was a method to that madness, yeah. right? So Julio knew he was on live TV, knew what he was saying, and, you know, when he's saying, I want the heck out, like, I get it. You know, so, I mean, I can absolutely see a trade at some point, but I think maybe if I had to bet, I'd lean more on him going to an AFC team, not an NFC team. Where to next? Scoop-wise, you want to go Twins? You want to go Wolves? You tell me. Well, we could go any number of directions. I spent a bunch of time on, what day was it, Friday on campus with Gophers basketball coach Ben Johnson. Then all of a sudden, or maybe it was Thursday, then all of a sudden he adds a big man transfer from Stephen F. Austin. He adds a Juco transfer, a guard from Florida, Abdullah, who I talked to. That's his first name. I'll botch the pronunciation on his last name, but he's a really good shooter. Played at a really good JUCO program for one year. Played at a really good high school program. I know Ben is fired up about that kid coming aboard, but he'll need some time. I'm told he really needs to add some serious strength. The Stephen F. Austin transfer, you know, I think he's he's more a backup, but they need some front court help, right? With Parker Fox out for the season, in all likelihood, coming off the torn ACL. Trayton Thompson coming in as a true freshman, a big man from Alexandria. Like, is Trayton going to be ready right away to play? Decent minutes? Probably not. So you start looking at the front court, and you're like, okay, like you need some help there, right? So they're continuing to pursue. He still has multiple scholarships, Ben, that is, to play with. He's still after Sterling Manley, a big man transfer from North Carolina, and he's absolutely still after Steph Mitchell, the power forward transfer, but he can guard multiple positions. He's from Shakopee. He was at Boston College. Good player the last few years in the ACC. Like I can see them landing Mitchell. That would be a really good get. Like Steph Mitchell, if he comes and joins the Gophers 
after he goes through the NBA pre-draft process. If he does indeed in the end choose the Gophers, and I'm telling you, I would make the Gophers the betting favorite on that front. Like, he would start, he'd play 30 minutes a night. So the roster is still incomplete, but things are about to ramp up. Calendar flipping to June next week. You know, Ben's going to welcome a bunch of recruits on campus early next week. A lot of the local guys, a lot of the 2022-2023 players. Uh, he can start hitting the road here pretty quick to, to watch some of these AAU tournaments. He can start working with his current roster June 14th. So, like, go for basketball. Things are are starting to ramp up. What's their concern, Do- Doogie, about this? Coming out of the p- uh, pandemic when you didn't have fans and – the program fires its coach, and I feel like we're back to a point of, if not apathy, uh, lack of interest in Gopher basketball. Which, which again, we've had this discussion a thousand times. If they're good, they're a big deal. Like, I mean, they'll they'll pack the barn. It's fantastic. Uh, what's the concern? Do you think on Mark Coyle's part that and this is not Ben Johnson's fault, but it's very clear that they might not be good. I mean, they could be awful. Uh, when you're going to come out of a pandemic, the competition for the sports dollar in this town is enormous. I mean, there's teams, you know, left and right. And one of your heritage programs is going to potentially be terrible and not really give people a justification to buy tickets. Well, even if they're good, I'm not quite sure people are yearning to go to the barn. It's a very, very old crowd. Like, even my father-in-law, like, he might be on the younger side in his section. He just gave up his season tickets. Third row, center court. Like, you think about the gold M. He had a couple seats in the M. He gave you them up. The, the tickets had been in his family forever. He gave them up. Like, he just prefers to watch on TV. You know, he was struggling to sell them going back a couple years ago. <laughs> yes. You know, he'd throw us a game or two. And he still can – he has connections over there. He can still track down, and obviously I can too track down some tickets if I want to take the boys to a game or two. But sure. like just with our schedules, it's just it's hard to get to 18, 19 games. You know, and sometimes the the start times, you know, like you may not know a start time until a couple days before. It just there's a lot of headaches in that regard. So even if they're good, I think there's a struggle to especially get younger people into the barn. But on the possibility of them being bad, yeah, I'm not dismissing that. Yeah, they could be pretty bad. I will tell you this much though. Ben does feel like, like if you look at the roster, there was a strategy behind this. He doesn't have a player shorter than 6'3". And the guard they just got a couple days ago, the Juco transfer, is 6'3". Otherwise, before that, everybody's brought on board 6'4 or taller. He feels like he's got a lot of guys that have high basketball IQ, that they're not going to curl up in the fetal position in the clutch, you know, crunch time. And he also feels like with their length, they'll be able to defend. That, you know, he's tried to bring in shooters and feels like they'll be able to shoot, certainly shoot better than Patino's teams, you know, at least last year, uh, but even going back multiple years. But that he feels like with their defensive length, that they'll be able to steal some games on defense. Now, we'll see if that turns out to be true. But I'm just telling you, I still need to see who else he brings in. There's more coming. Even after these two additions in the last five days, it's unbelievable. Or coming to his roster. So let me see. Like, I'm confident right. they're going to get Mitchell, but that's not 100%. But if they end up getting Mitchell, you've got him at one forward. You got Jamison Battle at another forward. You've got Peyton Willis as the starting point guard, but that doesn't mean much. That's just him bringing up the ball, initiating the offense. You've got EJ Stevens or Luke Lowe at the other guard spot. The other one will come off the bench, play heavy minutes. 
Then who starts at the five? Can they get Manley to start at the five? If your starting lineup is Manley, Mitchell, Battle, let's say it's Luke Lowe and Peyton Willis, that's not a train wreck, Jed. I'm not suggesting that's you know a top five team in the Big Ten. It's not. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think it's the 12 seed you know, in the Big Ten tournament. I think they could be better than that. So let me just see what else Ben does here to add to the front court. Fair enough. On the Twins, so they, they've started to play better of late. Uh, but, but we've also in the past, I, I think since we did the scoop last Tuesday, Dukes, we've also started to see some rumblings from national baseball reporters, J.P. Morosi, Fine Sand, about the potential that the Twins could be one of the first teams to start trading guys, uh, Pineda, Cruz. J.P. Morosi mentioned Barrios as a possibility, and I'd like to start there. So here's my feeling on him. I don't want to trade him. Like, I, I like him. I think he's he's not what we expected he was going to be, but he's still damn good. And so far, until we're proven wrong, this franchise, um, as it's currently constructed with Falvey and Levine, hasn't exactly developed a ton of its own pitching yet. Now, that might come. I don't know. My point is, I'd like to keep Barrios, but he has an incredible value going into July because he does have a year left on his contract. And we've talked about this before. We don't know if there's going to be baseball in 2022. If you're the twins, don't you have to quietly at least go to the Brios camp right now and say, what can we do here? Because if they make it clear, listen, we want to get paid. We will be talking to the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Dodgers, the Mets. You might say, okay, he's gone then. So, just with Barrios being first, what's your feeling about how this is going to play out? Because I don't want to trade him, but I could see their hand being forced. And last thing, I don't expect Buxton and Barrios are both back. I think it's probably one of the two. I don't know it's both. That's going to be a huge price tag. I would keep Barrios too. And you're right. I mean, whether there's a 2022 season or not, you could still maximize his trade value by trading him right now to a team that would have him then for two playoff runs, right? You'd have them for this year, and if there is a season next year, and if there's not, that team at least gets them for for this run. Judd, they've had a number of conversations with Joel Wolf, his agent. They've tried. I can't tell you if they've had talks in the last two or three weeks, but they've had a number of dialogues going back over two years. They have tried to extend him. Yes, very much on their terms, but I'm just telling you, they have tried really, really hard to extend him. I think ideally they, they'd like to find a happy medium and keep him. I think some of it is what you said. Like, okay, Hap isn't back next year. Shoemaker isn't back. Is Pineda back? Maybe there's some interest, but no guarantees as he's a pending free agent. So you start looking at the rotation even for next year. There's a few holes there, right? Maybe Dobnak can be your number five. You know, but you're still looking at at least two holes, right? Kenta made a back. Okay, but you still have multiple holes to fill. Belazovic is is not real far off, but I don't know if you can pencil him into the 2022 opening day rotation. And I'm I'm just basing this dialogue, Judd, on the idea that at some point they can come to, to some agreement on, on an extension. But you're right. Those talks in December, it may take until April, May, June, who knows about the 2022 season. But let's let's base our conversation right now on the idea sure. that there will be a 2022 season. Sure. If there is opening day, Jordan Belazovic is not going to be, I don't believe, ready to be in the opening day rotation. Not far off, you know, but but I don't think he'll be ready. Duran, who hit 101 on the radar gun over at CHS Field the other day, he could potentially be ready, you know. But if you've got him and Dobnak, 
that's still a slippery slope, I think. You know, but there are some guys. Uh, and certainly the the shutdown of last year, you know, it hurt everybody, but it certainly hurt them. But I think you need to listen. It, I guess it depends on what are the Blue Jays offering? You know, what's, you know, another organization offering for Jose Burrios? But I'm just telling you, they have tried to extend it. But you're right. He also, I think a lot of us had expectations that eventually, as he's now, what, 26, 27, mm-hmm. that he would be a true, at least, lo- you know, lockdown, rock-solid number two type guy. I'm not quite sure he's a number two on a, on a really good team. Uh, you know, just you look at the numbers the third time through a lineup. You know, how often does he get you into the seventh inning? It just doesn't happen very often. You know, I just – he's good, but he's not a superstar. You know, but he may be looking right. for close to superstar-type money. So, I think you continue to engage. I think you play this thing out, at least for this year. See where things stand in the winter. And if you can't get him extended, maybe shop him at the winter meetings. But I would not – I'm not saying they won't. I guess I would be mildly surprised, but like if Toronto wants to blow their their socks off and and offer, I mean Toronto's got some pretty good pitching prospects. If Toronto wants to offer a couple of those guys, if you're Derek and Thad, you're gonna listen, you know. But I also think you know the Morrissey steam, the Fine said steam, like that's coming from other organizations. That's yeah. not coming right from the Twins. The Twins are not they're not actively shopping guys right now. I can just tell you that for a fact. Here on May 25th. They are not actively shopping guys, but I can also tell you now some of it's just routine scouting, but they have a bunch of scouts out at double A games, at single A games, right? I mean, they're writing reports on a lot of guys on, on other teams in other organizations. So, I mean, they'll be fully prepared, you know, if that time comes. And heck, even with this run that they're on, this mini run, these next 12 games against the Orioles and Royals, and I think they're going to end up winning a bunch of these games, like this 13 game stretch against the Orioles and Royals, like I can easily see them winning nine or 10 of these 13 games. But the issue still is, Judd, they have so many teams that they need to climb over, right? Like the the White Sox are not necessarily slowing down. How many? I still think the Royals are are okay, even if the Twins can beat the Royals some of these games the next couple weeks. The Indians, with enough starting pitching, even if the offense is putrid, the Indians can still find a way to win some games and at least stay relevant to some degree. You know, then you look at the wild card standings, the amount of teams they need to jump over. Like, look at the Blue Jays. Look at the American League East, right? The Red Sox are better than I thought they would be. The Yankees are good. The Blue Jays, even though they're on a losing streak, are not bad. The Tampa Bay Rays are on, what, a 10 or 11 game 11. winning streak, right? I still think the Astros are decent. You know, then you look at the Oakland A's, they're good. I'm just saying you start looking at the wild card standings, show me the path to them being one of the two wild card teams. Uh, the easier path is probably winning the division, but that's still really hard. So at some point, realistically speaking, Derek and Thad are going to have to have that tough conversation and say, okay, like, let's look at our roster. Maybe the bats can carry us to some extent. Yeah. Like, the offense is coming alive. I, I think their offense. Can, can represent them fine. Their, their offense can be upper echelon in the league, but that they don't have enough pitching with inevitably more injuries to come with all the injuries we've seen so far, that there are going to be more injuries to come, even though they are getting healthier. Like Byron Buxton, I fully expect him back in the lineup next week. Jorge Polanco doesn't need surgery on the ankle. Uh, he'll be okay. We saw him pinch run 
late in last night's game. That's Nelson chron- Cruz, that's chronic- wrist is sore. Yeah, well, yeah, the Polanco, Polanco ankle. Is just chronic. Yeah. It, well, yeah, I mean, it goes back to 19. So I know. Yeah, uh, there is cause for concern, but right now they've ruled out another surgery. Okay. So, you know, he was swinging a hot bat. So at some point, Polanco should be back in the lineup. Arise, yeah, what's it, a, short, a sore shoulder? But they don't view that as a long-term. Kepler with the hamstring, they don't view that as any sort of long-term. So they will get healthy here pretty quick. But, Judd, it's darn near inevitable that at some point more of these guys are going to break down in the coming week. So at some point, that realistic conversation has to take place. Derek and Thad saying, okay, it's time for us to start taking these phone calls. Let's be realistic here. Let's start selling, especially the pending free agents. How do you, because they're going to have to do this, how do you go about, no matter who comes back, keeping Larnick and Kirilov in the lineup as much as possible? Well, you keep them in the lineup, right? So if that means Miguel Sano is sitting against some righty pitchers, so be it, and Kirilov's playing first base. Fine, right? Like, I could even argue the way Garlic and Ref Snyder are playing. They probably deserve at-bats, but they're not long-term functional pieces, maybe as a fourth outfielder type, but... You know, if you got to send those guys back down, you know, you take advantage of those two roster spots. I mean, you know, you could foresee at some point in outfield of Buxton in center, Kirilov in left, Larnick in right. Roll with that. Like, I just know this much. Kirilov and Larnick need to play every day. And I, right, think, the that, twins, yes. I think the Twins realize that. Kirilov, I prefer at first base. And, hey, that's fine. I don't necessarily disagree with you. You know, but I still think they're going to find Miguel Sano some at-bats. But that would also be a conversation. I don't think Miguel Sano has much trade value at all. But would any team bite, you know, that that, that this recent stretch, if they feel like there's something salvageable there, that he's got 38 to 42 home run upside, that some team that could use some power, would they bite at all? Like, that's another example of something the Twins at least need to explore when you bring up the Barrios example. I'll cite the Miguel Sano example. How, how about this? How, how about Larnick in left, Buxton health provided, because you always have to say that in center, Kepler in right, Kirloff at first, uh, Cruz in Tampa Bay, and Sano, you just ride as your DH. Well, yeah, and I left out Kepler in, in my you know scenario longer term where maybe you need to start thinking about, you know, if Kepler's got the most trade value, maybe that's something – you would consider that that some organization would love to have that swing. I mean, Kepler's swing, as much as I love Kirilov's swing, Kepler's swing is almost as beautiful as as Kirilov's swing. Right. You know, so maybe you would entertain that idea. But sure, maybe your best nine entails Kirilov at first with Kepler and right, Larnick and left. But then you still have the conundrum of what to do with Louis Arise. That you want to rise his bat. That's true. In the lineup. So what do you do there? Now, I suppose that is a good problem to have. I'm just telling you, though, especially after Larnick's long home run last night against a good lefty, John Means, you know, parking that way up there in deep center field. Like Trevor Larnick needs to be in the lineup every day. Alex Kirilov, the way he's squaring up balls, I know the batting average doesn't jump, but look at the way he's squaring up balls. Look at exit velocity. Like Alex Kirilov is a stud. I told you a year ago, and it's not like I was going out on a limb, but I told you a year ago for a write that down, write that down that at some point Alex Kirilov is going to win a batting title. I feel stronger about that statement today than I did a year ago. Like, I think Alex Kirilov is off the charts good. So, and and I'm telling you, he's got many, many fans in that organization. Like, there's been many teams 
that have asked about Kirloff and trade talks the last couple of years. I'm not saying the Twins made him completely off limits, but the Twins weren't trading Alex Kirloff. They wanted to see that bat in the lineup. So they're going to continue to ride Kirloff as long as the wrist stays okay. They're going to continue to play Kirloff the rest of the season. When do A-Rod and Mark Laurie Doogie go to a podium with Glenn Taylor, and when do we get the glorious A-Rod press conference? <laughs> I saw A-Rod on Instagram on, on Saturday. He's always got the Wolves gear. He had a Wolves hoodie on. He's got the Wolves golf shirt. You know, he's he's certainly you know, showing, hey, I'm, I'm the Wolves owner. You I know? guarantee you they yeah. will redesign the logo. Well, many of these organizations end up doing it, you know, just about every year or every other year because uh, they can, they can, you know, there, there's a revenue stream there that, that that you can end up, you know, benefiting from. So, yeah, I would not be shocked by that. I think to answer your question, Judd, you know, Glenn, when I talked to Glenn Taylor last week, he told me, you know, the league will approve the sale and an upcoming regularly scheduled, you know, Board of Governors meeting. Or maybe it's all owners meeting. You know, they have regular regular meetings that, that at some point here, whether it's June or July, sometime in the next, you know, handful of weeks, that approval is going to come. Glenn told me he's bringing A-Rod and Lori on board, you know, to start being involved in the organization even before the league officially approves the transaction. But to answer your question, I foresee that happening sometime after the official approval by the NBA. Now, whether that's, Mid-July, late July, would they wait until Summer League and do it in Vegas, you know, in August? Would they wait until closer to, you know, training camp, you know, sometime in early October? You know, it looks like the NBA is going to go back to their normal schedule for next season. Like, I can't tell you the exact date, but at some point it is going to happen. I'm just telling you, I don't see it happening before the league officially approves the transaction. Gotcha. Final scoop, sir. Well, I mean, heck, you know, where do you want to go? I mean, well, you, you tell know, me, it's your show. We go any number of directions. I've been asked about whether, you know, all of a sudden with the Wild hosting game six here on, on Wednesday night, is there any chance, you know, the governor would, would in the next 24 hours say, hey, let's get, you know, 12,000 people in the arena. Yeah, I'm just telling that, you yeah. the short answer. No, no. <laughs> I, there's no, there's no buzz. There's no buzz on that. There just is, and I, I checked this morning. So no appetite lot, to do it is the phrase. A lot would have to change in the next, you know, 12 to 18 hours, probably even less than that, for for all of a sudden there to be 10, 11, 12,000 people at the X on Wednesday night. Trying to think what else, Judd. I mean, hey, how, how about we're 100 month? days out from the Gopher football opener. I know there's a lot of buzz. Gophers, Ohio State, on September 2nd. You know, I heard a lot of good things coming off spring ball. I mean, this is a – a veteran-laden team, the guys that are going to be on the field have all sorts of experience. I'm sure P.J. Fleck will still cite that it's a young roster, but overall, it's a very experienced roster. So I can just tell you coming off the spring game and spring ball because we haven't touched on Gophers football the last few weeks, I know there's a lot of excitement on campus that they feel like they're much closer to the 2019 team than the 2020 team that just last year was so weird in so many ways from the Big Ten reversing its decision to play on down, Rashad Bateman, you know, fighting off COVID, you know, then Bateman opting out at the end, you know, the Gophers being shut down with with a mini COVID outbreak, you know, just all the weirdness of last year. I just know they feel like that's in the rearview mirror, that they feel like this 2021 roster is very much comparable to their 2019 roster when they made a serious run for the Big Ten West Championship. Last thing, 
what is your gut feeling about how the Zach Parisi wild era ends? He wants a buyout. Right? Yeah, he wants a buyout. I can just tell you that. He doesn't want to be here next year. Okay. Uh, he said all the right things publicly after game four. I commend him for that. Uh, I can tell you, though, you know, going back multiple weeks, he was he was hoping to talk to us, right? There were requests put in with the Wilds PR people for him to do a Zoom with us, and it never took place because I think there was some fear that, that you know, he may, he may create, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, a bleep storm, you know. But he said all the right things after game four. I do know there's – I don't think it's universal. I, I can't say I've talked to every player on background, but I, I can tell you from a couple players on background, they felt like Parisi with his playoff experience should have been in the lineup from game one. That there was uh, there was a miscalculation by Bill Guerin and Dean Everson to not have Parisi in the lineup starting game one, but that they're grateful that, that Parisi is now – you know, in the lineup, he scores there in, in game five. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a, a fascinating situation to keep an eye on once the season ends. But I can tell you, him, his representation, they absolutely are going to push for a buyout. It's just it's hard to see any trade yeah. actually coming to fruition. So, you know, he's either here and on the Wilds cap or they buy him out and they're still taking some cap hits yep. in that regard. And, and not small cap hits, by the way. So, you know, you can make a case that a buyout doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you're the Wild. But just to free him, do him the favor, Craig Leopold, you know, maybe maybe Zach and his represent, representation even go that far up the flagpole, you know, go to Craig directly if they need to. Uh, but just try to come to a to a happy medium on a buyout and get him the heck out of here, and he can go finish his career somewhere else. Great stuff, sir. Talk to you next week, okay? Okay, see you, Judd. Declan, feel better.